right, on last week's program, we did kind of a lightning round, trying to tighten up a bunch of articles we have laying around. We're going to continue that on this week's program. Only this time, we may engage in a few pieces of slightly longer length. Speaking of longer length, let's talk about the fact that Chinese censors are still trying to stop people from mocking the new headquarters of the People's Daily, which is the Communist Party's main propaganda machine. Uh, This came after Internet users pointed out that the 150-meter-tall building resembled a colossal phallus. We refer you, my dear listener, to the web to take a gander at this building if you've not yet done so. Because photos of the scaffold-covered skyscraper have been circulating on Sino Weibo, Chinese equivalent of Twitter, much to officials' dismay. Censors are working overtime to take down the offending images, but Weibo users have now taken refuge in double entendres, observing that the organ of the state has risen up. Oh, and if you've been wondering about an item we did, I think it was probably last year, about the fact that the California Assembly was voting to designate a new state marine reptile, which was going to be the endangered Western Pacific leatherback sea turtle. Well, you'll be relieved to know that it did pass the legislature and was, in fact, signed by Governor Brown, making the Western Pacific leatherback sea turtle the official state marine reptile. Well, we've been pretty hard on China on this program, based on some of the uh, some of the bad activities of the Chinese government. In fact, let's delve into a couple of those items. Apparently, Chinese hackers have stolen the designs for many of America's most sensitive advanced weapon systems, according to a report prepared for the Pentagon by the Defense Science Board. Apparently, the compromised weapon systems include more than two dozen programs critical to U.S. missile defenses. (laughs) We should put that in quote, U.S. missile defenses, because, well, there really isn't any such thing. But apparently also combat aircraft and ships. Among them are designs for the advanced Patriot missile system, known as the PAC-3. You know, I should stop right here reading this, because a lot of this is just fantasy. There's a lot of PR out there indicating that the Patriot missile system is really good at shooting down other missiles, but this is not, in fact, supported by actual test results. So you have to ask, how much difference is this really going to make in the end? But to continue, the designs for the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter Program, which is a $1.4 trillion weapon system, in fact, the most expensive weapon system ever built, has also been compromised. Here's my favorite. The, the, the Pentagon spokesman George Little was quoted as saying that the department had known about the breaches for a while and had taken steps to strengthen the military's cybersecurity. Yes, and apparently they've gone out to the horse barns to, uh, to close the door after news that some of the horses had escaped. This isn't just in America. Apparently the Chinese are working down under. Chinese hackers stole the blueprints of Australia's new spy agency headquarters giving them knowledge of the building's security and communication system. This is from a piece earlier this month. The Australian media uh, reported that uh, Prime Minister Julia Gillard has denied the report, but after being briefed by the spy agency's director, opposition lawmaker George Brandis confirmed that a, a breach has in fact occurred. Supposedly it happened years ago, and the agency has already changed the plans for the $600 million building in Canberra, which is almost complete. We're not sure what they mean by changing the plans. 
I don't know. Maybe they've confused the Chinese by switching the locations of the handicapped bathrooms. I, I don't know. All right, here's an item from the stupid file. Item off of Reuters, Dateline Vienna. Let me just quote from it. Legalizing drugs was no, quote, silver bullet, unquote, that would make organized crime disappear, President Barack Obama's drug policy chief said last Wednesday, as Latin American countries explore relaxing penalties for the personal use of narcotics. Gil Karlikowski, a former police chief, told an international meeting in Vienna that arresting more users and building more prisons to put them in was also not the answer to the drug problem in the United States. Adding, instead, this year's U.S. National Drug Control Strategy presented a third way, rooted in a science-based approach to drug addiction as a disease of the brain that can be prevented, treated, and from which people can now recover. Karlikowski said he has banished the phrase war on drugs after taking office four years ago, and the U.S. federal government has now spent more on drug prevention and treatment than domestic law enforcement which causes me to pause a minute and go, wait a minute. We've spent more money on drug prevention and treatment, which I'm not sure what that means exactly, than domestic law enforcement? Sounds to me like the war on drugs has taken over law enforcement. Peace notes that countries in Latin America, which is the world's top producer of cocaine and marijuana, have begun openly to challenge the 40-year-old orthodoxy of a U.S.-led, quote, war on drugs, unquote, that sought to stamp out the cultivation and distribution of drugs. Frustrated by ceaseless bloodshed and a perception that the U.S. has not done enough to curb its own consumption, many leaders in the region have debated the possibility of legalizing drugs. In Mexico, more than 70,000 people have been killed in drug-related violence since former President Felipe Calderón launched a military-led campaign against drug gangs in 2006. By comparison, we lost, what, 53,000 in Vietnam over seven years? Mexico, a substantially smaller country, has had 70,000 people killed thanks to the so-called war on drugs. Wow. All right, if that's from the stupid file, this is from the even stupider file. Mr. Miller, you have some appropriate music? Yes, you probably heard people talking about how wonderful the state of Texas is and how they have basically no environmental regulations. And <laughs> city of Houston is the largest city in America with no zoning. Seem to be pretty lax in enforcing any kind of air standards, water standards, etc. And they have some curious attitudes about law enforcement. Well, in this rather amazing item from earlier this month, it turns out that, well, let me just read the headline. Texas prostitutes jilted killer acquitted which trying to, quote, retrieve stolen property, unquote, says jury. Ezekiel Gilbert, age 30, was facing a life in jail for the 2009 death of Lenora Frago, 23, near his San Antonio home. He got off even though he shot her with an AK-47. A Texas jury said his actions were justified under state law. Yes, apparently Mr. Gilbert went to Craigslist to order himself up an escort. When the escort, Lenora Frago, left his house after being paid $150, but without having sex with him, he felt he was within his rights to use deadly force to 
retrieve his property, i.e. the 150 in cash. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody says, you know, something happened, got some product, and people ask, did you get your money back? They're usually not asking, did you take an AK-47 and go spray the store with bullets? Because apparently in this case, Mr. Gilbert went out to the victim's car and shot it up. Frago was struck in the neck and left paralyzed and brain damaged. She was hooked up to a rest respirator for several months until her family pulled the plug back in July of 2010. A Bexar County, Texas court jury on June 7th took just 11 hours to acquit Gilbert, saying his actions were justified because he was simply trying to retrieve stolen property. And of course, if you live in Texas, state residents there are permitted, quote, to use deadly force to recover property during a nighttime theft, unquote. Here's the part I like best. Gilbert's defense attorneys argued he didn't intend to kill Frago and only wanted to blow out the car tires and get back his cash. The lawyers also argued the shooting was justified because he thought sex was included as part of the fee. Of course, Gilbert appears to have been properly coached by his legal team. He made a statement that, I've been in a mental prison for the past four years of my life. Well, in, in my opinion, that, that beats the hell out of a real prison. He said, I have nightmares. If I see guns on TV where people are getting killed, I change the channel. I don't know. Next time you hear somebody talking about how wonderful it is in Texas and how, you know, people are moving there because it's such a great place, tell them this story. And speaking of lawyers, how about this item from the LA Times by Mara Dolan? Let me just quote from it. Michael Lieberman decided to enroll at Southwestern Law School after reading that 97% of its graduates were employed within nine months. He graduated in 2009 and passed the bar on his first try, but could not find a job as a lawyer. He worked for a while as a software tester, then a technical writer, and now serves as a field representative's for an elected official. Lieberman is one of dozens of law school graduates of the, across the country who have joined class action lawsuits alleging that law schools lured them in with misleading reports of their graduates' success. Instead of working in the law, some of the graduates were toiling at hourly jobs in department stores and restaurants and struggling to pay back the more than $100,000 in loans used to finance their education. Although Lieberman believes his degree may still be a useful tool, he and other graduates said the suit was intended to combat systemic ongoing fraud prevalent in the legal education industry. Well, it seems like a dream come true, doesn't it? The law schools of America, which are churning out thousands of people every year whose job it is to go out and sue people, are now getting sued themselves. Article notes that a total of 18 law schools around the country have been sued, and courts in other states have dismissed at least five of those suits. But uh, here in California, judges have permitted three of the suits to proceed. Peace also quotes J.R. Parker, lead lawyer in four of the California cases, who said that graduate jobs included literally folding shirts in Macy's. My God, that's awful. I mean, they go to Macy's and they're folding shirts instead of suing the company for slip and fall accidents? Parker said he found it galling that the schools gathered data that showed graduates were ending in non-legal jobs, but omitted that information from what they disclosed to the public. Why, it's an outrage. Imagine being a lawyer and having to actually do something meaningful like fold a shirt. 
I know you lawyers who listen put up with this. <laughs> because you tell me bemusedly that you just sort of have to tolerate these rants. But you know I'm right. Chris, I do want to add the opinion that I'm right <laughs> about my vicious opinion of the legal profession in this country is a view that does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. But you know, I got sidetracked a minute ago. I got talking about what the Chinese hackers have been up to, and, and I forgot to, um, to mitigate our discussion of what the Chinese have been up to. Well, I guess partly mitigate. Here's the story. Apparently a Chinese teen who vandalized the ancient temple of Luxor in Egypt is being excoriated back home in China as an example of a disrespectful youth generation. Ding Jinhoa, age 15, unwisely scribbled, Ding Jinhoa visited here on a temple wall during an Egyptian vacation with his parents, and a photo of the graffiti made the Chinese national news. Said the Shanghai Daily, this instance shows our families and schools have failed to deliver to the children something that should be expected of any education, moral principles, and civic virtues. We do have to take our hat off to the Chinese authorities for uh, pillaring this chump, because I have a feeling that if this happened here in America, he'd be hailed as a graffiti artist of great repute. And of course, that's another one of those opinions that doesn't necessarily represent uh, anyone else besides myself. All right, let's end our lightning round with this item. Apparently, a California woman, desperate to quit cigarettes, slapped a police officer in the hope she would be sent to a smoke-free prison. Police said that Etta Lopez, age 31, waited outside a Sacramento jail, yes, right here in Sacramento, and struck the first cop she saw. Said Deputy Matt Campoy, she stepped into me and slapped me in the face. She told us that she needed to quit smoking. And she got her wish. She was sentenced to 63 days in prison for battery of a police officer. And no, we don't have any follow-up on how her battle with cigarettes is going. Now, somebody else we've been hard on this program has been the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. You know, the guys that go out and shoot up, shoot up the animals that are supposedly causing trouble. Like February, when in Placer County, uh, authorities were alerted to an aggressive mountain lion, quote-unquote, on the Stevens Trail near Colfax. The Fish and Wildlife Department sent out a warden who reportedly, fearing for his life, called 911 and, quote, noticed he was being followed by a mountain lion. That's coming from Mark Michelisi, spokesman for the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, noting that the behavior was consistent with a mountain lion that is stalking its prey. So, naturally, they shot it dead. Michelisi said a necropsy will be performed to help officers learn more about the health of the animal and what might have triggered the behavior. I'm not sure a necropsy is going to help with that. They may need a psychic. Anyway, let's just say at this point we're skeptical about statements being made by the department, especially with another piece, June 1st. Article in the Sacramento Bee by Bill Lindelof notes that a shelter dog that's part wolf may have to go to a sanctuary. Yes, apparently they had a gentle big dog at the Sacramento City Animal Shelter that experts said may have a bit of wolf in him. They had him evaluated by a wolf organization called Never Cry Wolf and notes that he's low on the spectrum with less than 25% uh, wolf genes, presumably. This unfortunate animal was found wandering the streets around 58th Street and 21st Avenue near Tahoe Park. 
Peace notes that numerous breeders for dog-wolf hybrids can be found online, but it's illegal to possess a first-generation dog and wolf hybrid without a permit, according to the State Department of Fish and Wildlife. And, uh, oh yeah, permits are not granted to own such animals. <laughs> oh, not as pets, but there are issued for other uses, such as educational purposes, whatever the hell that means. Well, we hope this have a, has a happy ending. They're talking about uh, shipping this part wolf off to a sanctuary where troubled youth are helped at this ranch by caring for and connecting with wolves and wolf dogs. All right, let's close this piece by talking about getting nudged in the right direction. Interesting cover story in the June 22nd edition of New Scientist magazine. Worth quoting from a bit. Piece by Graham Lawton notes that a mass experiment is currently underway to change your behavior for the better. And if it's working properly, you probably barely noticed. Piece starts out by asking if you heard the one about the flies in the toilet that took off, flew around the world, and started a revolution. Back in 1995, it notes the authorities at Skillful Airport in Amsterdam were looking to cut costs. One of the most expensive jobs was to keep the floor of the men's toilet clean. The obvious solution would have been post signs politely reminding men not to pee on the floor. <laughs> but economist Ed Kaiboom had an idea. Etch a picture of a fly into each urinal. When they tried it, the cleaning bill reportedly fell 80%. Amsterdam's urinal flies have since become the most celebrated example of a nudge, a strategy for changing human behavior on the basis of a scientific understanding of what real people are like. In this case, the fact that men pee straighter if they have something to aim at. Governments around the world are increasingly employing nudges to encourage citizens to lead healthier, more respectable lives. And to understand this nudge revolution, they note you have to go back to the 1980s to the heyday of a branch of economics known as the Chicago School after the University of Chicago Economics Department where it started. You may have heard about the Chicago School, as exemplified by Nobel laureate Milton Friedman. Its fundamental principle was rational choice theory. In other words, when people make, make choices, they exercise near-perfect rationality. They logically weigh up incentives such as prices, taxes, and penalties in order to maximize their own economic interests. Rational choice theory was hugely influential, picking up Nobel Prizes and providing the intellectual foundations for neoliberalism. But there was a problem, as you might imagine. It was deeply flawed. The piece asks one to imagine you're given $100 and told that you can keep it as long as you give some of it to a stranger. The stranger knows the deal and can reject your offer, in which case you both get nothing. Now, rational choice theory predicts that strangers will accept whatever you offer. Even a small gain is better than none. In reality, however, people make surprisingly large offers and strangers often reject ones that do not appear fair. Why? Because real humans are not coldly rational. Although we are motivated by money, we're also motivated by other things like social norms and the concept of fairness. And we don't like to appear greedy even to strangers. We would rather punish an offer we don't like than accept it. Now the piece notes that insights like this, which is kind of from the duh file, <laughs> have led to a new way of thinking called behavioral economics. This science of choice documented the many real ways people deviate often wildly from rationality, which I think shouldn't really surprise anybody, should it? But one of its more important insights is the idea that we have two systems of thought. System one, fast, 
automatic and emotional. System two, slow, effortful, and logical. Hmm. You know any people that tend to rely more on system one than system two? Peace notes that the fast-thinking system has been likened to our inner Homer Simpson, (laughs) whereas the slow, methodical system to an inner Mr. Spock. System one doesn't just doesn't stop to think, it just does. It reacts on the fly, it jumps to conclusions. System two is the opposite. It's a thinker, not a doer. It's what we use to solve complex tasks that require attention and reasoning. The article notes that when it comes to decision making, system two generally produces better outcomes. <laughs> but it adds that attention, concentration, and reasoning are finite resources, so most everyday mental tasks are left to system one leaving us wide open to errors. The piece asks all of us to uh, answer this question as quickly as possible. Okay, ready for this? Okay, fish and chips cost $2.90. The fish cost $2 more than the chips. How much do the chips cost? Quick, quick, quick. Using system one, we generally instantly shout out an answer which feels right, 90 cents. If you deliberate though, you arrive at the correct answer, which is 45 cents. Anyway, you don't have time to go over the piece in great detail, but uh, it does note the main tool of nudging is choice architecture, or the way in which options are presented to you. The example they use is supermarkets, which know how to stack up items to get you to buy what it is they want you to buy. But the governments are realizing that if you can nudge people to get them to do what they should do, this is better than enacting laws, punishing them, etc. And since governments are using these techniques to to achieve some good ends, uh, well... Nudging has spread like wildfire across the globe. Just to cite one example from the article about um, the power of nudging and how uh, you can use uh, choice architecture to influence people, they note that some countries automatically register citizens as organ donors. It's easy to opt out, but most people don't get around to it. So obviously, if you're automatically registered but get to opt out, you're going to have a greater success than if people are asked to sign up to be an organ donor like we do here in California. All right, that about does it for today's program, which was produced by Edward McMillan. We'd like to wish everybody a happy 4th of July. And remind all of you that alcohol and gasoline do not mix. Of course, that once prompted Dean Martin to say, well, actually they do, but it tastes terrible. But seriously, if you're going to go out and enjoy yourself today, make sure you have a designated driver and just be safe, okay? I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. See you next week at the same time.